open our Bibles tonight to the 103rd Psalm, Psalms 103 tonight. And uh, I've got uh, what I expect will be a short message, but sometimes it just doesn't seem to work out that way. But uh, I want to preach to you on a truth that I believe we all need, especially on a Wednesday night. Uh, I am I am no barometer for the human condition, but it seemed like as I talked to people, shook their hands, it, it seemed like maybe folks was a little tired, a little weary. Uh, maybe the world's beat down on you and beat up on you today. And I believe the message tonight is a call to resolve that every single one of us needs to hear. I hope you've had a great day. hope that it's been an easy day, an encouraging day. But just in case it's not been, I trust that God will use the message in your heart tonight. Psalms 103, and I want to read the first five verses. The psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and thank you for the time you've given us. Pray that you would use your holy, inspired, inerrant word in our hearts, in our minds, that we might be drawn closer to thee, that, Father, you might gain more ground in our lives, gain greater possession of our beings, and, Lord, that we might be a greater testimony for you. We love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Before we jump into the 103rd Psalm, I want to remind you of the 102nd Psalm. In fact, last week we preached out of the 102nd Psalm on a Wednesday night, and this was not at all intentional that it, that it lined up this way, but we preached on the thought, He weakened my strength. And I want you to just notice the difference in tone and the difference in theme between the 102nd Psalm and the 103rd Psalm. Now, we're not going to read both these Psalms in their entirety, but you've heard what we've read in the 103rd Psalm. David is calling himself to an attitude and to a condition of praise. But remember that the 102nd Psalm, it begins this way. In fact, I'm going to begin with the little subscript, the little heading that's given to it. It's called a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. Listen to what David says in this psalm. I don't know how much of it I'll read, but we'll read a little bit of it. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. Now listen to what he says about his condition. He says, My days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as an heart. My heart is smitten and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. I watch him as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. Mine enemies reproach me all the day, and they that are mad against me are sworn against me. I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of thine indignation and thy wrath, for thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. My days, he says, are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like grass. Now, here's the message to you tonight. If you want a title for it, I've titled it, Forget Not All of His Benefits. But the theme, the, the thought that I want to give you this evening is this. Sometimes, after a hundred and second Psalm day, you need a hundred and third Psalm to sing. There are some days when praise, for the believer anyway, for the lost man, praise to God never comes naturally. 
because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. But for the saved individual, there are days and times in our life when praise is instinctive. God's just being so good to you. I've said this to folks before. They'll say, well, how are things going? I'll say, man, God's being so good to me, I just don't even know what to do about it. Uh, It just seems like everywhere I turn, the grace of God makes itself known and the favor of God falls upon me. And everywhere I turn, I'm just reminded of His goodness and His love and His faithfulness. And I bless the Lord for those times. But I think if most of us were to be honest, there are times in the human experience when praise does not come instinctively. Praise, if it's going to happen, it has to happen deliberately. Some days uh, you feel like praising God. Some days you don't. Some days you can't help but praise God. And some days it's like you have to wrestle your flesh to the ground and put a muzzle on it and tell yourself how desperately God is deserving of your praise. For every time we have a day like the 102nd Psalm, I think we need to remind ourselves like David did in the 103rd Psalm that we need to bless the Lord and praise Him. There are days when it's easy. There are days when it's hard. But it's always right to render praise unto the Lord. And so David opens the 103rd Psalm not by telling you to praise God, not by telling me to praise God, not by telling the nation or the kingdom to praise God, but by telling himself that he has a responsibility to render praise unto the Lord. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. There are days you're going to have to tell yourself that God's worthy of of praise, because when you look around, there won't be anything that you look at that will make it seem as though God's done anything praiseworthy in your life. Now, you say, well, preacher, that's heresy. Of course God's been good. Oh, I know, you can say that when everything's going well, but you just wait till things are going bad. And then your flesh is rearing up and saying, hey, God's not been as good to you as you thought, and God's not, He don't love you the way that you thought. Your flesh will lie to you and tell you that, and you have to meet that oppression and meet that hostility of the flesh the same way that David did, by literally arresting your own spirit and telling yourself that God is worthy of praise. You might say, well, that sounds good and everything, preacher, but how do I do that? Well, the psalmist gives us an example. He first invokes himself to praise the Lord. He, he sort of he looks in the mirror and he says, Now listen, I know we've been overwhelmed. I know we've been afflicted. I know we've been pouring out our complaint unto the Lord, and there's a place for that. But now it's time to move past that, and we're going to make up our minds today to bless the Lord. And how are we going to do it? Well, he says in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he says this, And forget not all His benefits. Now, as a child of God, you have been equipped with everything you need to praise God even on the darkest of days. I know it may not feel like that. It may not seem like that. You may have one of these days today where the world's just beating up on you and everything's beating up on you. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you had to fight with yourself to get yourself to come to church tonight. But whatever it is, David gives us a list of six things that no matter how your day's going, no matter what's going on in your life, if you're a child of God, six things that you can always praise Him for, that you can grapple and arrest your attention and get your focus back on the Lord. I want to give them to you very quickly tonight. He says first off in verse number 3, "...who forgiveth all thine iniquities." And isn't it fitting that the very first thing, the very first benefit that David says, I don't care how your day's gone, I don't care how your week or your month or your year is gone, if you're saved, if you're a child of God, then you can always praise the Lord for the propitiation that He provides. His pardon, His forgiveness. 
The fact that He was willing to save your soul. Ah, listen, I, there, there are days when we feel real sanctified. We wake up and we're ready to take on hell with a water pistol and we're ready, you know, we feel super spiritual. One of the great lies that I think the devil tells the church is that the preacher always feels like he's a spiritual superhero. Always feels, always gets up, man, ready, raring to go, you know. You see those uh, memes. And if you don't know what a meme is, don't even bother yourself with it. Ignore it. You're better off. Go to your grave not even caring. But if you know what they are, you see them where it'll say, you know, what what my mom thinks I do, what my friends think I do, what this and that. And I saw one for preachers one day. And when it came down to the part where it said, what I think I do, it had a picture of Charlton Heston up there with the Ten Commandments. And... uh Listen, there are days I suppose you get up feeling like that, but most days, most days, you get up and struggle with that same flesh, that same discouragement, that same sense of failure, that same sense of helplessness that any other person in your church does. I understand what it is to wake up and feel discouraged. I understand what it is to wake up and feel hopeless. And in those times, the very first thing we ought to remind ourselves of is no matter what takes place in our life, if we're a child of God, we've still been forgiven of our sins. The biggest problem, listen carefully, that you will ever face has been dealt with already in your life if you've been saved by God's grace. Now, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, then the biggest problem that you've got, it don't matter what problems get solved for you, the biggest problem in your life is still a problem if you've never been saved. But if you have been saved, then the biggest problem you'll ever face has been dealt with by Christ on Calvary. Listen, it doesn't matter what man may do to you. It doesn't matter what you lose. It doesn't matter what you endure. It doesn't matter what you go through. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I'd want to go through those things any more than you would. But I'm saying at the end of the day, no matter what transpires, no matter what takes place, the greatest thing that could ever happen to you has already happened to you. You have been forgiven of your sins. You have been made a child of God. You've been given a place in heaven. You've been, given, uh, you've been placed within the righteousness of Christ. All of those things speak greater than your problems do. And so even in the light of sometimes insurmountable, unavoidable, unforgettable problems, we must also not forget that God has forgiven us of our sins. Now, if you're not struggling with anything, that probably ain't going to mean a lot to you right now. You're probably going to say, well, preacher, that's, that's good and everything. I, I thank the Lord that I'm saved. But you just wait until the devil gets his boot on your throat. And you're looking for something that you can praise the Lord over. Run to that first. I think his propitiation that he provides. And then he says this, Who healeth all thy diseases. Now, I, let me say just, just to put it out there, just so you know, I absolutely believe God is capable of healing diseases in the human body. I've seen him do that. I'm not capable of it. You're not capable of it. No TV preacher is capable of it. I can't do it. But when it is within the will of God, he can do it. I've seen him do it. I have, I have literally witnessed, I've seen doctors come out of way, out of, uh, surgical rooms, out of operating rooms, I've seen them come out of consultation rooms with a shocked look on their face and no explanation for what has transpired. But now listen carefully. He says, who healeth all thy diseases? Now I don't know about you, I know God is capable of healing. I know sometimes it's within the will of God to heal. But I don't know anybody that could say God has healed all my diseases. Every pain, every hurt, every ache. There's a couple applications we can make to this. Of course, I'm glad that one day there will be that ultimate healing. Amen? We'll be given a new body. Paul said uh, that we'll be given a body, a, a new body. It won't be like this vile body. It'll be made like unto his glorious body. 
But I'm also reminded that disease is a product of man's sin. Now listen carefully. That doesn't mean every disease that everybody has is because of personal sin in their life. But it does mean that the reason humankind deals with sin is because man chose, or deals with disease is because man chose to sin in the garden. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there was no disease, there was no affliction, there was no uh, sickness. But as a product of that, the human body and the human condition has degraded. And the reason we deal with disease is because we live in a sin-cursed, sin-stained world. And so I think there's an application to be made here, which is this. Of course, God will one day heal all our diseases when He gives us a new body. He certainly can and does heal now when it's within His will. But if disease is a symptom and product of sin, we can be reminded of this, that God, when He saves a person, He restores to them what sin has robbed of them. If disease is seen as emblematic of all that man lost in the garden then I can't help but be reminded that when a person receives Christ as their Savior, they're given back all that was lost in the garden and oh so much more. When man walked with God in the garden, he walked in fellowship with Him. He walked in innocence with God. He walked and beheld His glory. Uh, he was uh, in a condition where God was His uh, watch, uh, was His keeper and where He was the, the, in the watch care of God. And all of those things have been restored to the believer when they've accepted Christ as their Savior. Uh, God, though not yet, He will one day give you a new body, but He's taken you into fellowship with Him. Uh, The Bible says this, Ephesians says we've been accepted in the Beloved. Uh, The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Uh, We've been given a blessed, privileged status by, by accepting Christ as our Savior. And all that mankind had lost, He is now able to enjoy and more through the person of Jesus Christ. Paul gives us this analogy in the book of Romans when he teaches us that everything that was lost in Adam is restored in Jesus Christ. And you understand that no matter how your life is going, no matter what problems you're facing and having to endure, you still have more than what a lost person has. Because you have fellowship with God. You have communion with Him. You've had the righteousness of Christ imputed unto you. You're living in a way that even Adam himself never lived. You've been justified. You've heard the phrase, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. I I, I get that, but that's not really what justification is. Justification gives someone more than what Adam had in the garden. Adam was in innocence, but we live in imputed righteousness. We, We live with the righteousness of Christ. Adam lived with his own fragile and feeble righteousness. Though it was pure, look how fragile it was. One sin and it was done. The righteousness that we've been given from Christ is far greater than that. When we sin, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, Christ is righteous enough that it does not sully or stain or corrupt the positional standing that we have in Him. I think because the restoration that God provides to us. Then He says this, "...who redeemeth thy life from destruction." I think because the redemption that is provided in God, we always have a reason to praise Him no matter what is going on. Now, when we use the term redemption, especially in a church house, we also often use it in an all-encompassing way. I will say, you know, well, a person needs to be redeemed or Christ redeems us. And that's true. I won't qualm with that language. The psalmist himself said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But the term redemption is a distinctly financial term. It means to take possession of something through purchase that has been lost. 
Uh, for instance, if a person had a car and they didn't make their payments and it, it went into, uh, it, I don't know what, it, repossession, I guess would be the term, uh, then they could, could go theoretically, and pay the past due amount and redeem that car unto themselves. Same thing would be said about a house and foreclosure. If they paid the past dues and the past fees, in theory, they could go and redeem that car unto themselves. In fact, one of the things a lot of people make money off of it is buying delinquent loans. There's a certain point at which a home, uh, title-wise, if, if, the, if the taxes have not been paid on it, then the county takes possession of it, and they just want to get some money out of it. They ain't interested in having a bunch of real estate, so they'll hold off on delinquent titles, and another person can come and say, I'll pay the taxes for that house and take possession of that thing. And they are redeeming that house, that title, that deed unto themselves. The term redemption means to rescue something through financial means to pay what is owed on its account. And listen again to what he said, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. You know, as a lost person, your life is on a path to destruction. You might live your life as a wealthy person. You might live your life as a healthy person. You might live your life well-liked and and, and popular. You might live it powerful and influential. But at the end of the day, every lost person dies in the same condition. Every lost person dies in the same condition. You ever heard this phrase? I don't know if it's a phrase or what it is, but uh, if you've ever noticed, you'll never see a a, a hearse hauling a U-Haul. Right? I've heard it this way. They don't make hearses with luggage racks. You ever heard? Because you can't take it with you when you go. Right? I know it's a Wednesday night. I shouldn't be telling jokes you've got to think about. But <laughs> the fact is, at the end of the day, the lost person, every one of them, they die in the same condition. Uh, no matter what they have accrued and laid up, it means nothing. Their life, at the end of the day, is set for destruction. And I would suggest this to you, that if the end of their life be destruction, then whatever meaning their life supposedly had really had no meaning at all. Uh, You can think, many of you no doubt, about times in your life before you were saved, and that's what your life was, was just despair and destruction. Just living from, from one habit to the next, from one paycheck to the next, from one distraction to the next never living anywhere or in any way with meaning. But the psalmist says he took that life that was fit and set for destruction, and he paid the price for it, and he redeemed it, and he made it worthwhile, and he made it meaningful. You know what I think, and I'll say something else about this here in a little while, but I just want to insert this into the message right now. You know, I think most of us as Christians, we have bad memories. I think we all too often, all too easily forget what it was like before we knew Christ. Uh, we've got used to getting up every day knowing that God loves us, knowing that our life has meaning and has purpose. And, and so often we've just done forgot what it was like to wake up and, and the sunrise had no meaning. Our life had no meaning. I mean, it was just a meaningless existence. And God saved us and redeemed us from that condition. And He gave our life value. The world does not value the life of the individual. By the way, that's why you're seeing such a push towards collectivism politically and ideologically today is because as man gets further away from the foundational principles of the Word of God, he values the individual less and less and less. Because God is the one that ultimately values the individual above anyone else. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because He died for the whole world, each person individually. You want to know if God values the individual? He tasted death for every man. Every man. And so he saw value and imbued value into your life. Your life would have meant nothing had you not received Christ 
as your Savior. It would have just merely been the moving of particles through the universe only to end in despair, destruction, and damnation. But because you received Christ as your Savior and accepted and appropriated and apprehended the value that He placed on your life, now your life has meaning. And now your life that could have just been despair and destruction, now it can be divinely directed. And now you can live a life that makes a difference and makes an impact. Far too many Christians are living below what God saved them for. Below what God saved them for. Merely stumbling through from day to day, week to week, never living with purpose. God saved you for more than that. We can always praise Him because our life isn't what it would have been what it would have been. I've said this before. I, I was raised in a Christian home. I was saved at 10 years old. And a lot of times I'd listen to people get up and give testimony about what a rotten scoundrel they were, and then God saved them and changed them. And I believe God does that. But it left me sort of feeling left out, you know, because I thought, well, I wasn't no kind of rotten scoundrel. I was, you know, I, I, I wasn't saved. I was going to the same devil's hell that they were, but I wasn't a bad kid. I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised around, uh, you know, the things of God. I got saved at 10 years old. And I'd think, well, what's my testimony? Their testimony was where they were and where God brought them to. You know what my testimony is? Where I am versus where I could have been without Him i got a lot of people I went to school with. Going to a Christian school, you go to school with a lot of folks that, that claim to know the name of the Lord. And I went to school with a lot of them. Man, their lives are a train wreck. And if my life is not, it's not because I'm anything meaningful. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I'm made out of something different than they are. Listen, my blood is red just like theirs. Uh, my, my nature is fallen just like theirs. The only difference between them and me is what grace has done in my life. God has redeemed my life from destruction. And gave it meaning. And no matter what my life endures or experiences, I can always thank God that I'm not what I used to be and I'm not what I could have been had I been left alone. I think the redemption that God provides. Then notice the next phrase. He says, Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. I think the exaltation that God provides is something that we can always praise Him for. God literally takes the individual and lifts them out of a state of anonymity, obscurity, and insignificance and places them within the family of God. Uh, Could you imagine, you know, we live in a day where one of the great currencies is connections. If you know somebody that knows somebody, you can get a lot of things done in life. Can I tell you, I'm, I'm somebody that knows somebody. I'm not somebody, I'm nobody. But I'm somebody that knows somebody. I, I, I am a child of God. I am in His family. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm an heir of God. I've been crowned. I've been elevated. I've been exalted through what? Not through my own ability. Not through my own strength. Not through my own wisdom. Not through my own talent or my own personality. But only through singularly one thing, and that's God's grace. His loving kindness and tender mercy. Listen, I never have to wonder again if I'm loved or if I'm cared about. And it's, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I've ever experienced it like some folks have. Uh, you probably remember a time in your life when you went to bed thinking, nobody cares about me. If you're a child of God, you never have to go to bed saying, nobody cares about me. If everybody forsakes you, if everybody abandons you, if everything that you hold dear is ripped away tomorrow, if you're a child of God, then you're still a child of God. And that exalted position is something that you can always praise Him for. Uh, if, if nobody loves you, you can always praise God that He still loves you. Uh, listen, when my mother and father cast me down, the Lord will take me up. Uh, the psalmist said, no man cares for my soul, but you and I, we can't say that. 
Because God always loves us and cares for us. And we always have a, pra- a privileged status and position in the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't it fascinating that everything that the world claims to value, God has provided. But everything the world truly values are not things that have value at all. Uh, we live in a day where one of the things people always talk about is having a privileged status. Uh, there's all kinds of people groups in society that want allowances made and laws passed and money given so that they can be a privileged person and have privileged status. And yet here's the God of the universe extending a hand of mercy and grace and saying, I'm willing to not only forgive you, but to redeem you and save you and bring you into my family and give you my righteousness and make you my child. And still the world pushes him away. And there's believers and Christians that in in light of everything that God has done, in spite of everything that God has done, still do not find the privileged position that we are in Christ to be enough to see meaning and worth in their life. We ought to always be able to praise Him for the exaltation that He provides. Then He says this, "...who satisfieth thy mouth with good things." We ought to always be able to praise God for the satisfaction that He provides. Nobody satisfies like God satisfies. I think part of our problem as believers is it's been so long since we've been truly dissatisfied in life, truly felt the emptiness of dissatisfaction, that we equate discomfort with dissatisfaction. When was the last time you went to bed and felt like life wasn't worth living? Uh, Listen, there's been times when I've woke up and felt like that day wasn't worth getting out of bed for. (laughs) But I can't tell you the last time that I woke up and said, life's just meaningless and empty and we're just hurling through a rock in the midst of of an ugly and cruel and elemental universe, I I think we've done forgot what it's like to be dissatisfied. Uh, The fact of the matter is this. When God saved you and me, He answered the biggest question in life and He dealt with the biggest problem in life. He took you unto Himself and made a promise that He would keep you and care for you. He has satisfied the true yearning of the human condition. And I think sometimes when we've been saved for a little while and things aren't going the way that we wish they were going, sometimes we begin to grow with what I would call a superficial dissatisfaction. And I think that there's there's some normalcy to that. We all, there's a tendency, every every one of us, there's things we wish that were different. There's things we wish we had. There's things we wish we could change. But in the midst of that, let us never, ever, ever disregard or dismiss the satisfaction that is provided for the human soul and the human spirit in the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest answers of life have been answered, or the greatest questions of life have been answered in the person of Christ. No matter what happens, you can always praise Him that He satisfies you. You'll never have a need, a true need, that He can't meet. Never, ever, ever. Now, you may have some needs that you won't let Him meet. But there's never been a need that the human being has had that that is a true need. Not a want, not a desire, but a need. But what God has been able to satisfy it. He can satisfy all of our needs. And then finally, and I'm done tonight, we have this one sort of connected to the last one. He says, "...who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles." I think we ought to always be able to praise Him for the rejuvenation that He provides. Now, somebody's going to need this for a Thursday morning. Amen? <laughs> after after moving through the week and, and the problems you endure and the discouragement that comes your way and the weariness that sometimes you sense, we need to be reminded that, that strength is found in satisfaction with the Lord. He says, because you satisfy 
my mouth with good things. Because you are everything I need, my, my youth is renewed like the eagles. In other words, I'm given the strength and vigor that is necessary to meet the very next day. I think sometimes what we desire is for God to remove our problems from us, when in fact what God equips us for is to face those problems. And the equipping that, that is necessary, the strength, the means to face the problems that we endure in life is found in the fact that He is everything and all that we need. You know, this is the fact. When we slip out of communion with Him, when we slip out of close fellowship with Him, we begin to, in a deeper way, sense our own personal weakness. This was the truth that the psalmist taught in the 102nd Psalm. He weakened my strength, meaning he removed my my natural boldness and vigor and self-reliance. And when he did that, I began to lean upon his strength more. I won't re-preach my message last week, but Paul says a lot about that in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And his conclusion was this, when I am weak, then am I strong. And the psalmist is echoing this same truth. The satisfaction of God is what gives me strength. In other words, when I quit trying to meet my needs, and I allow God to meet my needs, when I quit trying to tell God what I need, and I instead ask of God what I need, then I find there the source of strength that is necessary. You know, we want enough strength to never have to worry again. But that's not the way life works, because the moment we have enough strength that we never worry again, then we quit quit depending on the Lord. But instead, God gives us enough strength to go on, but not enough to go far. Did you hear what I said? He gives us enough strength to go on, but not enough to go far. You know why? Because we'll go far. (laughs) We'll leave Him. We'll depart from Him. We'll quit leaning upon Him. But if we live in daily communion and fellowship with Him, finding our satisfaction in Him, we'll find not the strength for the next ten years, but the strength for the next day. And that's how we live for Christ, is day by day. Many a Christian has gotten derailed by trying to settle the next ten years. No, listen, settle the next day. Commit the next day for Christ. And if you'll do that, you know what you'll find? This is deep. Are you ready? You better get on your hip waders. This is deep. Did you know that life is just a bunch of days strung together? Think about it. It's just a bunch of days strung together. We talk about everything in matters of days. In fact, when the Lord created things, He created them in days. He could have said the first week, I created everything. And that would have been true. Could have said during the first month, I created everything. Or during the first year, during the first century, during the first millennium. But instead, he said, you know what? On the first day, I did this. On the second day, I did this. On the third day, I did this. You know why? And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my opinion. If it is, then you just give me a little grace. But it seems as though that's how life meets us. We can plan for the week. We can plan for the month. But the way we experience life is day by day. When was the last time somebody said, What'd you do this week? What'd you do this year? What'd you do this month? Well, maybe occasionally, but you know what most often you hear? What'd you do today? What'd you do today? You know why? That's how we, that, that's how we experience life. Uh, you'll find that if you'll lean upon God and find satisfaction with Him day by day, that as you do it today, He'll give you strength for tomorrow. We can always praise Him that He always gives us enough strength to meet what faces us. Not so much that we can forget about Him, but enough that we can face the things that are coming tomorrow. I I hope that in all these things you'll be able to say, you know, preacher, there's still things I'd love for God to do. There's still things I'd love for God to change. But there's sure enough that no matter what happens in my life, I can praise Him 
for his goodness and grace, his loving kindness, and his tender mercy.